Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. Join me as the French enter the exploration game when the King of France commissions Giovanni da Verrazzano to explore the Atlantic coast of North America between Florida and New Brunswick, including New York Bay, in 1524. Eric Yanis of the Other States of America podcast has graciously agreed to share his telling of this incredible story. Today it would seem weird to think that the English would be no competition for the French to take over in the New World. But at the beginning of the 16th century, England was small. France was quite large, several times the population of England proper. England at this time not in union with Scotland, not possessing much of Ireland. It was just England. It wasn't the United Kingdom that we know today. France being far larger and stable and powerful you would expect them to be the ones to take off and take over these new lands, especially when you compare them to their powers to the south on the Iberian continent. Spain, for instance, having just reconquered the peninsula from the Muslims. Spain had just barely been a united country, and in fact, we're still quite divided politically. And yet, what often held back France throughout this entire period moving forward is their own affairs. France was so big, so populated, so much territory to control on the continent, the European continent, that affairs on the North American continent were nothing in comparison to their domestic problems. But before any official expeditions from the French crown to the New World or any place westward, there appears to have already been fishermen in the area from France. We learned about the early French Basque, who were probably off the coast of Newfoundland at the Grand Banks. It also seems likely that Breton and Norman fishermen were around Newfoundland as early as 1504. And there are two obscure explorers around the year 1506 and 1508, Thomas Aubert and Jean Denis. Based on maps from the time, it seems likely that one or both of those men even spotted the St. Lawrence Riverway. And it would be a possible way westward for these explorers, who are always looking for a way to skip around everything else and get to China, get to India, get to Japan. Thomas Aubert, in fact, brought back natives he captured off the coast. A very common thing, unfortunately. And in 1509, had them put on display with their canoe and all the little trinkets they had with them, which, of course, the French people found fascinating. Now, there's no record of what happened to these natives. Unfortunately, it's likely they died of diseases, especially in these big French cities, all these communicable diseases that the native people had never experienced anywhere in their genetic history. Louis XII was so impressed with Albert, he gave him a commission to conquer new territories, and nothing much came of that. France, enveloped in its own problems, would lay low on the expedition side, exploration side of things, for several decades. But that didn't stop the fishermen from prying around the coastline. Beyond the fishermen in the north, there were privateers to the south, French privateers in New Spain, hopefully getting a hold of just one of those ships full of gold or silver that would make you rich for a lifetime. And in fact, it was the Spanish who had the greatest foothold in the New World and were the main competitor to France getting into the game. Again, England barely on the radar. So moving beyond the opening decade of the 16th century, let's move into the reign of Francis I of France. I know, it sounds redundant, but that's his name. A strapping six-foot-tall man, which is reasonably tall today and very tall back then, had a large nose and a thick neck. His skin was light and pale. His eyes were often bloodshot, but he was charming. He had a way with the women, he was a bit of a philanderer, but was very learned, and supposedly had a perfect memory. He was a patron of the arts, supporting men like da Vinci. So, kind of a mixed bag here. Good guy, bad guy. 
Now, Francis took issue with the papal bull and the Treaty of Tordesillas. And allegedly, he asked the Pope for a copy of Adam's will to show where exactly Adam left the entire outside world to Spain and Portugal. Adam, of course, being the first man in the Abrahamic religions. Now, the papacy at this time had been bogged down by Italian wars for a couple decades now. And Francis I was able to get a little leeway on that papal bull. And he basically argued, I'm going to explore the world, much as the Spanish and the Portuguese have done. And just like them, I'm going to help spread Catholicism. The great historian William Eccles said that Francis I rejected the papal bull and he claimed title to new lands that his explorers would find based on one, discovery, two, conquest, three, occupation. What Francis essentially lays out is how all European powers will argue their claim over various lands in the New World. The man was ahead of his time and put the first crack in the hegemony of the Portuguese and the Spanish. And who would Francis I choose to begin the epic expansion of France overseas? He chose Giovanni de Verrazzano. Verrazzano, like so many explorers at this time, would be called today in Italian. Of course, there was no Italian nation back then. But like Columbus and Cabot, he found himself exploring for one of the powers in Western Europe instead of one of the smaller nations making up Italy today. There's a slight possibility that Verrazzano had been in France for a long time. In fact, there's one document that mentions a crew manifest for Albert and his expedition in 1508. And one of the men mentioned, a captain of one of the other ships, secondary ships to Albert's, was a Jean Verrazin. And so, with only that one shred of evidence, it's possible that Verrazano had been in France for a very long time, had been to the New World for quite a while, and had a direct connection to this very first generation of obscure French explorers to the New World. Now, Verrazano and Francis realized after Magellan's trip that there was seemingly no quick way to get around the Americas, as Magellan's was far to the south, very dangerous, and a very long trip, and then all the way up through what would be Brazil and New Spain, which at its furthest extent would make up what is today northern Florida, southern Georgia, there was no way further west. And so, if you wanted to find a way to Asia by going west, you'd have to look at the latitudes basically where Georgia is today in the United States and further north. Now, many of the port cities of Europe were controlled by Italian merchants, especially on the west coast of the continent. Uh, such was the case for many of the ports in France. Now, originally, Verrazzano was being funded by Florentine merchants working out of these French ports. But Francis I got wind of an expedition, and he quickly sponsored uh, Verrazzano himself. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. 
Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Verrazano, now funded by these merchants and the king himself, had tons of resources at his disposal. Originally, he left with four ships, but very quickly hit a storm, had to turn around, and only had one usable ship left. And by golly, in the year 1524, he said, I got one ship, I'm leaving. His ship was called the Dauphine, which means dolphin in France, also a nickname for the uh, prince who would become king. He had eight months' worth of provisions. He had a crew of 50 men. The ship was about 100 tons. And in about 40 days, they spotted what people believed to be Cape Fear off the coast of North Carolina. Some scholars put it a little further south in Georgia. But either way, Verrazano made very sure to stay clear of New Spain. So he went just north enough to start mapping the coastline without raising suspicion from Spain. Always on the watch for privateers. The authorities back in Europe and Spain proper were well aware of Verrazano's journeys. They had spies in every port, and they knew the provisions that were being uh, acquired and the men who were being hired, and they knew what Verrazano was going off to do. And early into his mapping of the coastline, he came across these barrier islands off the outer banks of the Carolinas where these very thin islands would run north and south. But some of them are far enough offshore that you can't really spot the continent proper. And so Verrazano, sailing by these, thought that the North American continent narrowed in the middle to the point of being only a mile or two thick. And this began a misconception that went on for decades that the North American continent had some sort of middle ocean, a Mediterranean of itself, when in fact he just spotted a very thin island off the coast of the proper continent. And Verrazano explored the coastline of what is now the United States of America. He kept a short, brief, but very important record. He labeled Delaware, the area around Delaware, and Arcadia. This name, of course, Acadia, will be used later for the area of northern Maine and into what is now Canada. And Acadia will be turned into the word Cajun eventually, which, of course, relates to the people of French descent in Louisiana who were expelled from Acadia proper. And so this very much is a story about the United States. And to that end, Verrazano... He spots Manhattan Island. He's the first European we know of who finds it. He sees it. He names the area. He's at the head of the Hudson River. Decades! 80-something years before Henry Hudson. The guy who they named the river after. It's a big deal. Going further up the coast, Verrazano got off the ship and interacted with the Wampanoag. The natives whom the pilgrims, supposedly the pilgrims, the separatists, would interact with almost 100 years later. So Verrazano has beat the English to Manhattan Island and beat the Dutch to Manhattan Island to what will be New England, to what will be the southern colonies, and all in the name of France. Going further up the coast to the area of what is now Maine, he labeled this the land of the bad people. Now, the Abenaki up there did not interact well with Verrazano and his men. Whereas the Wampanoag were very friendly, the Abenaki were very weary. We know now that it's likely the Portuguese were kidnapping people off the coast of Maine and what would become uh, today Nova Scotia, also formerly known as Acadia, and selling them into slavery. And so by the time Verrazano gets there, they're very weary of Europeans. And so Verrazano was probably wrong. They're probably not the bad people. They probably thought he was the bad people. And he may have been a bad person. For one thing, we're not exactly sure 
the exact places he made landfall, but it is known that he kidnapped one native boy. Explorers would do this to bring them back to Europe, have them learn the European languages, and then be able to return with a translator. Uh, also, they wanted to bring tangible proof that they did, in fact, reach a new land, or any land at all. You leave with so many people, and you come back with so many new people. That's proof you hit somewhere. And based on this friendly, unfriendly native dichotomy here, we can say that Verrazano probably hit some parts of what would now be the mid-Atlantic and the southern Atlantic portion of the United States that Europeans had never been to before. The historian Lawrence Roth brings up a great point that Verrazano made his way back to France. And this entire time he had one ship. He explored the coastline where the water is shallow and there are reefs and rocks and shoals all unmapped. There's no pre-existing maps to go off of. Now, we've heard of explorers who leave with five ships, six ships, and they are still missing. We still don't know what happened to them. Verrazano made this entire trip with one ship. But wouldn't you know it, Verrazano was a failure. Think about it. Did he discover a passage west? No. Did he discover a northwest passage? No. Did he discover empires that could be conquered? Large cities? No. Gold, silver? No. And this might have been the reason why his account of his journey was so sparse, because it didn't seem very significant at the time. Of course, us are going, wow, this guy's describing Delaware, New York Harbor, Massachusetts. He's up in Maine. This guy's giving us a glimpse into America for the first time in documentation. Very important to us today. But to him, it was just a land empty of opportunity. And despite his big mistake of thinking that the middle of North America narrowed into a huge body of water, he realized a couple things. He knew that he wasn't in Asia. He recognized that the climates of North America and Europe were different, even at the same latitudes. North America was noticeably colder. For historians, Verrazano's account is invaluable, of course. It gives us a first glimpse into a lot of different areas of what is now the United States. Verrazano also, despite having a central ocean, surmised that North America was probably larger than previous maps indicated, often showing Nova Scotia and what would be Newfoundland, and then kind of everything else is just a mysterious little bit of nothing, a chain of islands perhaps. North America was a genuine continent. Verrazano realized that. And on his map, a huge chunk of what is now the United States of America, he labeled in Latin Nova Gallia which, of course, Gaul, being an ancient part of the Roman Empire, the Gauls being conquered by Julius Caesar, is what is now the nation of France, the territory controlled by France. And so in Latin, he labeled, is now a huge chunk of the United States, New France. New France was part of the story of the United States. And we know what happened to Verrazano. So many explorers have just disappeared into the mists, into the waters, onto the land we don't know. But in 1528... Just a couple years afterwards, Verrazano was on an expedition to the Caribbean, probably within the domain of New Spain. Coming to an island, he saw natives on the shore. He took a small boat from his ship to reach them. What happened next, his brother witnessed from the main ship. Once he reached the shores, the natives seized him and murdered him. And right there on the beach, the natives cooked and ate him, while his brother looked on helplessly. Giovanni da Verrazano an Italian in the employ of France, thus became the first white man known to have sailed up the Narrows into the Lower Bay, leading to the Upper Bay, New York Harbor, and Manhattan Island. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying visuals, including maps, charts, 
timelines, photos, illustrations, and diagrams. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.